listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. And welcome to episode 56 of the Tyrell Pigroom cast, where Tyrell Pigroom, Tyrell Pigroom's everywhere because Tyrell Pigroom saves everybody of Maryland kind. Isn't that right, Ryan Connors? Sure, uh, sure it is, for, uh, for at least that one play against UCF. Um, well, it saved everybody from a what would have been a hilariously bad, typical Maryland football debacle, which could have easily been avoided. Yeah, I think uh, we'd be if if not for him, we might be talking about this team in an entirely different light. But uh, hey, things things are looking pretty good right now. They are looking very good, and there's another reason why they're looking very good besides the fact that this team is three and zero. The ghost of Testudo Times editor's past, sort of, and a frequent old podcast guest who is now back on the show for the first time in probably five months. The return, ladies and gentlemen, of the beloved and great Dave Tucker. Dave, it is so great to have you back on this show. Good to be back. I've missed you. In, We've all missed quite, you. That was quite an introduction I got. <laughs> Have you ever been introduced like that before? I don't think that splendidly. Well, I'm, I'm glad I could do that, but we've missed you around here. Not just on the podcast, but on the site in general. What's? I know you've been a lot busier with work and your daughter and whatnot, but... It's just so great to have you back. You were such an integral part of Testudo Times, and you still are. You're still a part of the greater community, and that's why I wanted to have you back on the show. And we're going to try to have you more on the show as time goes on, you know, time constraints, of course, permitting, but you'll be back on, and I'm just happy to have you back. You've been a great podcast guest for so long. Well, glad to be here. We've got a lot to talk about. Maryland football's 3-0, and they got there in a very interesting way. I think we should start with the quarterbacks on the Tyrell Pigroom cast, of course. Uh, Ryan, I don't think Perry Hills played that badly on Saturday night, despite what I saw on Twitter and some of the criticism that we had seen in some places. I didn't think he had any chance to be good because there was a pass rush in his face within the first two or three seconds after snapping the ball. And when he did have a chance to make plays, he made some plays, particularly in overtime when he ran the ball himself to get the touchdown. He threw a couple of pretty good passes. It wasn't quite as great as it was, but I don't think this one's on him, especially because he didn't turn the ball over again. Uh, yeah, you know, Matt, I would agree with that take. I think he, um, you know, a lot of the problems you saw against UCF can be blamed on the pass protection. <clears throat> and I imagine everyone's going to be pretty quick this entire season to uh, you know, just attack Perry Hills whenever he does something bad because he will eventually throw that first interception and, you know, he'll probably have a bad game and then everyone's going to freak out. But in reality, he's not – the success on this team doesn't really depend on Perry Hills. And I think uh, he, in the first two games, did exactly what he had to do. And in this one, the pass protection really didn't give him much of a chance because they were just, they ended up, they ended the game with, I think, five sacks. And they were just, the UCF defense was just in his face, camped out in Maryland's backfield like the entire game. It was absolutely true. And considering that, I didn't think Perry Hills played all that badly in the circumstances, which were incredibly negative. So, Dave, since this is the first time you're on the podcast and the first time you get a real chance to say your views to the world about this Maryland football team. Talk a little first about 
what you think of the team and then about the quarterback play, and especially in relation to the UCF game. Well, I'm, I think, I mean, this is the third time Maryland started at least 3-0 since 2001. So, I mean, that's always a good thing for a Maryland program that has certainly been up and down a lot over the entirety of its existence. So I, I just think that's a real good position for them to be in. It's a good position for DJ Durkin to be in. It's um, it's good to see. I think they're doing a great job trying to run the ball a lot, which I think they should have done more last year. I think it plays to their strengths. And I think most importantly, it really allows um, Harry Hills to not have pressure on him he's not forcing the ball down the field and he's not turning the ball over a lot which was you know one of Maryland's biggest problems last year and they're not getting in those situations so far I think they're one of three FBS teams that has not committed a turnover yet through three games so even though their competition might not have been the best competition in the world it's still pretty impressive that they have not turned the ball over yet especially given what they did last year so uh, I've been pretty impressed with Hills. I think Walt Bell is doing a really good job making sure uh, he's playing to his strengths, which I think is really good. Um, and then, you know, overall, I think they're in a pretty good position and they could very well end up being a 4 0 starting the season, which is great. Would you have ever expected a Maryland team to not turn the ball over through the first three games? I think that's probably the biggest accomplishment in the in the first three games is not not the running game necessarily or the emergence of some of the younger players, but the fact that they haven't turned it over after what happened a year ago is just remarkable, and I don't think we're talking about it enough. Yeah, I mean it's just I mean no matter who you're playing, you're gonna commit a fumble, you know, quarterback like do something and commit an interception or something. So I mean, there's obviously luck involved with that aspect of it but it's still I mean like I said they're putting themselves in position where they're not throwing the ball in kind of situations that are gonna warrant uh, committing turnovers so I think you know they continue to do that limit turnovers I mean that's going to be a big component that's going to probably allow them to win some games and stay in some other games longer than they would otherwise mm-hmm. Ryan we have to talk about Tyrell Pigram, not just because of his run, and we know he has the athleticism to make plays like that at any given time in a game, but that was his first snap and his only snap of the UCF game. We thought we'd see a more dedicated package for him, that kind of thing, as the games got tougher, but instead we have seen less and less of him as time's gone on. He came in as basically the victory cigar against Howard and FIU, and then against UCF when it was close, they didn't want to risk it, I guess. And now, we're going to get into this discussion a little bit more in a second, but are you surprised that we've seen as little of Pigram as we have? Because I now, I, we talk about all the, you know, the extra package of plays. I, I think we're still going to see that, but the fact that we haven't seen it yet leads me to believe that they might not be planning on using it. Yeah, I think um, I was a little bit surprised that they didn't have a package role for him, but... Uh, I think it's, um, you know, it's very possible that Walt Bell isn't, you know, he doesn't want to play his hand too early with that whole thing. He might want to wait until they're playing teams that 
they're not expecting to beat, and they need you know one more kind of wrinkle to throw in there to give them give themselves a chance. Um, <clears throat> but I think, uh, yeah, like P- Pigram, you know, it's Walt Bell has each week been pretty, uh, pretty like he's emphasized. You know, yes, Pigram's done a great job. He's he's had a couple flashy runs, but overall he has a lot to work on with like managing the line of scrimmage. But I I still feel like Pigram will eventually have a package rolled down like down the stretch because it just he's a guy who you know you give him some space and he'll make something happen. And any guy like that you want to, especially on Maryland, you want to get him the ball. Oh, absolutely, especially with the game-breaking ability he has. And Maryland has game-breakers on offense, but maybe not quite, you know, the game-breakers, obviously, that some of the bigger teams have. Uh, Dave, I want to ask this question, because Perry Hills' injury is day-to-day. We don't know what it's going to be like. We're recording this 11 days out from the Purdue game, but in many respects, and I know there are going to be some other people that think along this line, if he is not fully healthy by then, and we don't know, this is obviously speculation and hyperbole in a way, but if he is not fully healthy by then, do you think Maryland should be risking him against Purdue? Because let's be honest, if Caleb Rowe or Tyrell Pigrom or somebody of that ilk starts, Maryland's probably still going to beat the Boilermakers anyway. So wouldn't you want to preserve him for Penn State, Minnesota, for the tougher games down the road? Yeah, probably. Um, I think, you know, they're obviously, if, if they think he's good enough to go, I'm sure they'll probably start him. But, um, I think they probably feel confident with putting Pigram out there, um, especially because they have the bye week now. So if they know that Hills might not be ready, they can certainly get him in in practices and they can probably tailor the offense a little bit more, maybe make it a little bit more run-centric than it already is. Um, so, I, I mean, if, if there is some sort of risk, I think, you know, they've got the bye week, which is good. If he's still not good after the bye week, then I think, you know, they should definitely have Pigram in there. And I'm sure he can probably excel. And it'd probably be really interesting because they'd probably run the ball, I mean, even more than they have been with the B. Just something you don't see as often unless you're talking about a team like Navy or someone else that's running a triple option. Navy and Georgia Tech, basically, are the only teams that would run it as much as, I guess, in theory, Maryland would. Ryan... Uh, what do you think about this? I mean, we, as I said, I don't know. We probably don't have enough inside knowledge to know exactly how injured he is. But if he's not fully ready, you don't have to risk him against Purdue at home, especially in this in this season. I don't think you need to risk that. So in that case, would we see Caleb Rose starting or would we see Pigram starting? What do you think would happen? I think Pigram would be the starter uh, in that scenario. Um, Bell, Walt Bell is obviously each week he's been asked about the quarterbacks and each week he's said that, uh, you know, if, if something were to happen to Perry in a game, that Pigram would be the next guy up. However, I think the, uh, I, I imagine the coaching staff really isn't going to make much of a, you know, there, I don't think there's going to be three categories here. I think it's going to be either he's ready and he can play or he's not ready and he can't. I think if uh, I, I just I don't think that they're going to be basing it whether or not they're playing Purdue just because, yeah, sure, Purdue is one of the worst teams in the Big Ten, but it's a win that Maryland sorely needs if it wants any chance at a bowl game. And 
Uh, I think any more reps you can get Perry in an actual game are going to be pretty, uh, pretty important just because he hasn't, he, I think he's just going to need more. And especially after the game against UCF where he was pressured all night, he's going to need a game where he doesn't get that. So he can just fit so that the offense can just figure itself out a little bit more. Oh, I completely agree with that. But still, if there's a kind of game where if he's iffy, you don't want to risk him and you can get away with it, Purdue might well be that game for whatever it's worth. I don't think that they have another game like that uh, the rest of the season. I want to get into Ryan now, the running backs, because Wes Brown will return. And we've seen this being a running back by committee all season. Some games it's been Wes Brown, uh, not Wes Brown, some games it's been Ty Johnson. We've seen Trey Edmonds in spurts, et cetera, et cetera. Then it was Lorenzo Harrison. Uh, how do you think we're going to see the running back rotation working now that uh, Wes Brown is back? Because it adds a lot of intrigue to a very, very complicated backfield, uh, particularly now that Lorenzo Harrison seems to be the hottest hand. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think the what's going to happen is I, I, I believe I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure Jake Funk didn't get any carries against UCF. So I think he's not as much a part of the rotation anymore. Not to say we can't see him at different points or things couldn't change, but I think it's going to be... I think the one thing is this offense with how fast it moves is going to be a... It's it's still going to use all of these running backs, um, probably probably except for Funk. So I think you'll still see... West, the It'll still be Wes Brown, Ty Johnson, Harrison, uh, Trey Edmonds... And Kenneth Goins, I think I think I got all the guys accounted for that I want. Um, that's that that's five five running backs. Obviously, I feel like most teams probably don't usually employ five running backs at the same time, but I think you'll see all of them get at least four or five carries, and then it'll from then on it'll probably just depend on who is doing it, who's who's the hot hand essentially, uh, and, and it just gives the team a lot of different options. Um, you know, Wes Brown, I guess, out of all of them, is the one who he checks the most boxes and kind of can do the most things. But you still have guys like Lorenzo Harrison seems like the best receiver out of the backfield, and Goins and Edmonds seem like probably the best third, the best short distance backs. Um, but I think you'll still you'll see a good dose of each and every one of them. I think Harrison's also the most explosive at this point. I mean, we, yeah. we, we have the Ty Johnson love fest on this site. That's been going on for a while now. But Harrison's shown more bursts this season, especially on a couple of those runs we've seen, right, than, than I guess than Ty Johnson. Maybe it's because maybe defenses are a little more prepared for him than they are for Harrison because they have more tape. But Harrison's been the most explosive out of all of them. But, uh, Dave, what do you think about the running backs? Because I think it's the position group that fascinates me the most as we go forward. Well, I think one thing to keep in mind is that Maryland's first three games, they've run the ball 44 times, 45 times, and 50 times. So you're talking about a lot of carries. So I feel like you have that ability to being able to spread those carries out among a lot of people, which isn't necessarily the case for a lot of teams. So you know, I think they're going to be able to get West Brown the ball because they're going to run the ball a lot. And if Hills is out, they'll probably run the ball even more. Um, so I think it'll kind of shake itself out. I think, you know, they're going to 
they're going to stay giving the ball to the guys they have been giving the ball to. But I think, you know, some of those guys are going to lose carries in favor of Brown getting them. But again, they're running the ball so often that that's not going to be as big of a drop off as you would see with, you know, probably your typical offense in college. Of course, we also have read option QB runs, which we have seen fewer of than I guess some of us thought. Tyrell Pigram uh, Pigram comes in, then you're going to see more of them, but we haven't seen it quite as much with Perry Hills. Let's get to some of the areas of major concern from this game, and there were some. Uh, The offensive line was a turnstile, and that's a problem because Maryland's going to be playing defensive fronts later on in the season that will do way worse damage than UCF did, Uh, particularly they they play in uh, Columbus, Ohio, Ann Arbor, Michigan. You may have heard of them. Uh, Ryan, the offensive line was an area we thought would be a strength, and in many ways it still is, but are you now more concerned than ever about this group after what was a really shockingly bad performance against UCF? Yeah, um, we'll note that they're actually not playing in Columbus this year and they're playing in College Park. Well, I but, said um, that they were playing a team from Columbus and Ann Arbor. And anyway, uh, okay. go on. My bad. Well, um, yeah, I think it's definitely concerning. Um, it's still one game, and, you know, we didn't really see this problem in either of the previous two games. But it's uh, it's it's got to be a pretty big concern, I think, at this point. Um, maybe the solution here is just they plug in some new starters and everything ends up being fine or the communication between these guys gets better. Uh, I personally, I wasn't f- able to find the game tape anywhere that, or else that would have been something that I would have at least tried to investigate a little bit more because that was, they, they were just in, in uh, like in Perry Hills grill the entire game. And it could also turn out that just UCF ha- happened to have a really good pass rush this year and nobody really can tell by now but um yeah i think it's it's pretty concerning um the good like the lucky thing i guess is that you know maryland's going to be a team that still runs the ball probably more than it passes hopefully but uh you know when it when maryland need maryland still needs to be able to pass sometimes and that game was kind of it was shocking because they'd run the ball for a while and then when they needed a pass they'd still get someone, they still couldn't block for more than a couple seconds. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a big concern. And we, it was hard to know how good UCF was going to be. I don't think they're going to end up being that good. You know, they were a very much an unknown quantity, and it turned out that might be bad for the Terps. Dave, are you worried about the offensive line? Because, again, they're going to run the ball a ton. And offensive line play, obviously, is very important when you're running the ball, but you also don't want to get your quarterback killed. And Maryland, and there's an angry Maryland quarterback hating God somewhere that still exists. We've seen him many, many times. So is this offensive line uh, a bigger worry for you now than some of the other areas of this team? And we'll get to the defense. We've been saying that was definitely something I think myself and many other people thought was going to be a strength of this team. They've, you know, really recruited well. They have a lot of really really talented and blue chip offensive line guys there and this kind of seemed like the season where they would all be able to come together and that'd be a really big strength for this team but it just has not been especially in passing situations um and again you're not talking about teams like ohio state and michigan the front sevens that you're facing the defensive lines you're facing 
So that, I mean, it is concerning to me. Um, part of it could be that they're still learning, you know, new blocking schemes and new language from a new coordinator. So perhaps it's going to continue to improve throughout the season, which is what you hope for. But I think right now it, it is a little concerning and I hope it's something that they can get corrected. Otherwise they're going to have a lot of trouble. And a quarterback or two might get seriously injured. Unfortunately, this is Maryland, but you also know uh, teams with iffy offensive lines. We've seen this happen in the past. Let's get onto the defense, uh, Ryan, very quickly, because that too wasn't particularly good. Mackenzie Milton, who was a freshman that hadn't played very often. I mean, if it wasn't for his some very, very bad gaffes, including that fumble and double overtime, Maryland probably loses. Uh, their third and long defense in this game was particularly bad. They gave up some really awful plays in a lot of senses in the ground and in the air. And once and one thing that somebody noticed and posted on Twitter was Maryland's on defense has a speed deficit. They're not nearly as fast. And it was said, of course, this is against a lot of players from Florida. So the defense as a whole, we saw some issues against FIU, and then they compounded a bit against UCF. Are you worried about that speed deficit? Are you worried about that third and long defense that was pretty bad? Is there what's the biggest concern for you defensively? Because there now are some. Yeah, I think I mean there certainly are some. I think the uh, third down performance is something to look at, but uh, I think we still have a little bit of a small sample size from just one game uh, to declare that a major problem yet. Um, the speed thing was interesting because. I've seen this kind of thing happen a lot in football just with <clears throat> when you have a running quarterback like this and it was a running quarterback that the team was not clearly not prepared to face. He was only named the starter the morning of the game and wasn't even officially named the starter that morning. Um, so they did not have much time to, to prepare for that. I think if Maryland faces a running quarterback in the future, DJ Durkin will probably have a little better, better of an idea of how to approach it, you you would think at least. But, but hold, um, on, hold on one second before I interrupt you. Why can't yeah. they adjust in the middle of the game and put a spy on them? Because they have uh, the, the linebackers who could do that. Jermaine Carter Jr. is very, very good at his job. So why couldn't they put a spy on him mid-game and prevent some of those things? And then I'm thinking of that third and ridiculous in overtime where it was a Hail Mary prayer that on Will Likely that worked. Like that shouldn't yeah. be happening. Um, I mean, that that particular play, I don't really know what, you, what, what Will Likely just got beat. That, that'll happen on some occasions this year. Uh, I think that was more just good execution by UCF. Uh, but I, again, could, I, I, don't, like, I don't think it was a break in coverage by Maryland. I think it was just a, uh, it was just a good play by UCF and just kind of an unfortunate break. But, uh, I think in general, this defense is a little bit just short. It's it's not very deep because you like they're you know they're obviously they lost a couple guys on the defensive line. Um, the lineback one of the linebackers was a quarterback uh, like six months ago, and um, yeah, I think that's going to take that that's going to be probably a bit of a problem this entire year, I imagine. Um, the secondary, I think, will be interesting because the secondary's performance, I think, overall was solid against UCF, but not great. Um, and secondary is probably the most talented unit the team has. Um, as for the 
question about a spy. Uh, that's a very good question. I don't I don't know exactly what they did, um, but it was pretty clear that Jermaine Carter and Shane Cockerell weren't fast enough to keep up with uh, Milton if he decided to run. I think if you put a, you know, Donnell Savage as the spy, things could be a little bit different, but there could be a million reasons why you wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, I mean, DJ Durkin and Andy Boo are very smart football minds, so I was, again, it's a worthy question to ask when there's a running quarterback doing the things that he's doing and they're seemingly not trying to fix it in-game and just hoping that it works, but, you know, such is the way it goes. Uh, Dave, again, we, we thought that the defense had some good personnel uh, laid over from last year, and then the addition of J.C. Jackson certainly made things a lot better, but there's still some personnel deficiencies that cannot be fixed this year unless some players really emerge out of nowhere. Uh, are there more concerns about the defense than you might have had before? Um, because I think in years past, the defense, particularly the defensive line, has been the backbone of the team, and this year it's not really that much of the same anymore. Yeah, I think concern, again, kind of like with the offensive line, there's some things that you've seen that kind of stick out to you that you obviously don't want to see again this early in the season against some of the competition that you're facing. Um, to me, though, I think Durkin is a really good defensive-minded coach, so I'm hopeful that uh, he can help get these problems but I think another thing that, you know, you guys might disagree with me, but I think Durkin has done that Etzel didn't really do is that he and his coordinators are not afraid to play people who are the best people to play, regardless of what year they are, regardless of, you know, seniority, anything like that. You know, if they think someone else is going to improve their team, they're going to play them. If that person's a freshman, that's fine. So I think that's going to be, be an interesting thing to watch moving forward. You know, are there going to be other guys that step up and start playing? Um, I feel like Etzel's almost obsessed with redshirting people to some extent, and Durkin has basically seemed to be like, well, you know, we don't have that luxury to redshirt people because we need to have people out there, the best people playing now. And I think that's something that you've seen a little bit. Oh, I don't disagree with you on the idea that the players who are playing are definitely the most capable. Uh, Randy Edsel and company did not want to play freshmen unless they had to, and DJ Durkin and his staff don't care. And that's definitely a different philosophy. And it's one that's helped them because the freshmen have certainly helped in many, many areas. And those players who earned it get a chance to play, and there's a lot of validity to that over seniority warrens and counts for everything. So... I want to get now to quickly, Ryan, Maryland got votes in both uh, the AP and coaches poll. Not many, but they did. Uh, that's bad because Maryland is not anywhere near a ranked team, and they don't deserve to be anywhere near a ranked team, and somehow they got votes because they're 3-0 and in the Big Ten, and that's silly. Just saying. You are correct there. Um, I think, you know, Maryland will probably, I guess, get a couple more votes uh, if and when they beat Purdue. And then we probably won't really need to hear very much about them, depending on how the Penn State game goes. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was pretty shocking. It obviously 
took me back to my freshman year when they were ranked, and then um, lost sixty-three to the, nothing at the State. The FSU thing happened, but um, yeah, I think it's more of just a funny thing that we can note. Uh, they have to vote for someone, and as we know, the polls are all—I don't know—people people vote for different teams for like no reason uh you know FIU could have voted for Maryland just to increase FIU's stature I don't know why they do that but um yeah I think it's more of just a funny thing that we'll be able to chuckle about there are a good amount of teams each year each week that receive votes that aren't close to getting into the poll I think so uh yeah I mean you know if Maryland starts getting close to that uh 25 spot then then we can definitely keep talking about this because that would be really funny yeah i i can absolutely see it but don't you think that there's gonna be a chance that somehow they're ranked by the time oh. we get to october 2nd if they beat purdue because then they'll be 4-0 <laughs> and, and uh, imagine that team which would still not deserve to be ranked under any form or fashion of circumstances uh, going in as a ranked team against Penn State, who at that point will have another loss because they're not beating Michigan. Imagine that. Um, yeah, I think that would be... Uh, yeah, I wouldn't hold my breath on that. I, I can't even imagine with that. I, like, I feel like the, you know, people remember what Maryland did last season. There was no... There's, they, they remember it probably more than they even should. So I think that... Uh, I don't know. I feel like this team still has a lot to prove after the uh, three and nine debacle last season. Oh, I think they do. I think they do. So let's get to uh, something that Alex wrote for the site, and it's a very good piece, uh, Dave. And I want to start with you on this briefly. Uh, it's the idea that the product as a whole is better, even though I think there's fun. He's saying there's no more turnovers, but at least it's watchable. At least it's way better than it was before. And that's really, I guess, all we could have asked for with this season. And now a bowl game looks pretty, I wouldn't say incredibly likely, but it's pretty likely at this point. And considering everything that this team has gone through in the past couple of years, to see where it is now compared to where it was last year, lightning leap year improvement. And that could be, again, from 10 to 50. But improvement is always good and it shows you that the program is heading in the right direction for it feels like the first time in a long time i completely agree i mean i i think that's the exact kind of takeaway from this season so far is that you know there there are noticeable changes that are still potential flaws on this team and you know they're not in a position to be competing with the big boys in the Big Ten by any means, but I think when Maryland does play teams like Ohio State and Michigan, you know, I think those teams, you're going to see more competition in those games versus just complete and utter blowouts aside from Maryland's game against Ohio State last year where I still don't understand how they were in that game as long as they were. But, <laughs> that made no you know, sense. I, it's 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 a different culture. I mean, I feel like that's my number one takeaway from the DJ Durkin era so far is that this team has a different culture about it. It's got a different way of carrying itself. Um, I think Durkin is just a completely different um, 
completely different uh, head coach, and he's got this program going in a different direction than where Randy Edsel left it. And I think that's great, and I hope he continues to build mm-hmm. excitement with this team. Uh, I think going 4-0, if they are able to beat Purdue, is certainly going to be a, a help. Um, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but I just think back to my freshman year, which is Ralph Regan's first year, where Maryland came out of nowhere Uh-oh. and won the ACC and Uh-oh. went to the Orange Bowl. I'm 100% no way, shape, or form saying that I think this year's Maryland's team is going to do that. I'm simply pointing out the fact that Maryland started out that season 6-0, to had an awesome overtime win, upsetting Georgia Tech at Georgia Tech. Um, and, you know, no one expected that. And, you know, things can turn quickly for a program with the right coach that's there. And I think Durkin is the right coach. And I think of the coaches that were hired uh, this offseason, I think he's going to end up being one of the better hires among that group. Is Georgia Tech uh, of that year Penn State of this year? Because, again, imagine the, imagine the scene if this happens. Just, just saying. What, whatever. Uh, Georgia Tech was a good team that year. My recollection is they were ranked like 15th or something when Maryland beat them on a Nick Novak field goal in overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, the Georgia Tech fans were not very happy. Highlights um, on YouTube, by the way, if you want to watch this stuff. Uh, Ryan, I guess I want to ask good. you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's fun to it's fun to look back on in retrospect. Uh, Ryan, I guess I want to ask you a similar question before we start wrapping things up. Do you think that this team is a little bit more like that 2001 team that Dave said? I don't think so. Or is it more like the 2013 Terps, your freshman year and my sophomore year, when they started out 4-0, they didn't beat great competition, but there was a lot more optimism, and then they got obviously served by the better teams, but they still finished 7-5. and We're in a decent bowl game. It was the first time in a while, and people started to think, okay, this program's maybe headed in the right direction. Now, of course, that's Randy Edsel, and that turned out to be short-lived, but I could see a lot of comparisons with uh, this team and that team for a number of reasons, not just because some of the personnel carries over. So what do you think? Uh, yeah, I think, um, I mean, yeah, I guess I I see, I see the similarities between this and the 2013 team. Um, I imagine, you know, ideally they beat all the teams they should beat, which really is a really small list. I mean, teams they should beat left on the schedule really just means Purdue and Rutgers and potentially Indiana, maybe Minnesota. Uh, maybe maybe yeah. maybe Indiana, but I'd I'd put I'd put Indiana over Minnesota as of now at least. Um, but yeah, I think and I mean for this team, any bowl game is a good bowl game. Um, I think it's comparing it to 2013 is just a little. It's kind of hard to do because any coach's first season is just kind of. It's just it seems like it's something. It's just in a different category all its own. Um, you know, especially with Durkin, seems like, you know, the recruiting's obviously going pretty well. They have the 17th class in the country, I believe, on 24-7 as of now. And uh, I think I think the way more exciting comparison will be 
uh, you know, in two years, which 2013 was Edsel's third, third year, year the team, right? I think uh, in 2018, in Durkin's third year, I think we're all going to really like to compare that to Randy Edsel's third year. Uh, you, you third year national champions. Did you read that? There was a New York Times article recently that said the most likely year for a team to win a national championship is in a coach's third season. So that is effectively well, what you are saying, Ryan. <laughs> I would okay, say it's not what you're saying, but I like that comparison. I, I would say that uh, most of those teams winning in the third season are uh, historical college football powers anyway, and that uh, it'll be kind of difficult for you know any any Maryland team that. Uh, you know, starts becoming regularly very good is uh, that's and Durkin obviously knows this is a uh, is a big project that's going to take more than a couple years, but um, it's it's exciting nonetheless. Oh, of course, there's a lot more to come with the uh, DJ Durkin era, and I don't think anybody is expecting it to go completely amazing immediately. But the fact that it is where it is now is awesome enough, I think, for most of us. So. I guess I want to wrap it up uh, quickly. I want to say congratulations. Men's soccer's number one ranked team in the country. You should all go down to Ludwig if you can't, if you haven't already, and watch that because the number one ranked team in the country is amazing all the time. And it's not often we get to say Maryland is number one ranked in anything. So that's definitely cool. We've seen schedules for college basketball TV getting released. So we're almost at Maryland Madness, which is amazing. So that's a lot of fun. And, of course, as always, always, Always a bunch of good stuff to get to as the calendar turns to October and basketball season. Oh, right, quickly, on that recruit that Maryland was interested in and ended up going to Michigan State. I forget what his name was. Uh, Jaron Jaron Jackson? You're not surprised by that. I don't think anybody is. Um, Yeah, I mean, personally, I didn't really – I hadn't heard of him before he he announced that he was committing. And I then went on to 24-7 Sports and saw that the crystal ball was pointing to Maryland – and I was like, oh, wow, that's crazy. And then uh, within two hours, it was, uh, it was all Michigan State. Um, but I think we'll, we'll have a lot more on our website about, uh, about Maryland recruiting. Um, mm-hmm. we're, starting, we're starting recruiting roundups for football and basketball each week. And we'll just have more, um, like, we'll have a little bit more coverage of that. Uh, I think it'll be, we're going to, I don't exactly even know how the, college football recruiting year works but i imagine we're going to be hearing a lot more pretty soon yep i can imagine that too and of course you should stay tuned to justudotimes.com for all of that information so thank you both for being on the podcast of course ryan it's always great to have you on but especially dave tucker who i'm just so happy to have him back it was great to hear your voice again and hopefully we'll be hearing your voice again soon yeah, I hope so. And I'll, I want to give a shout out to uh, Stefan Diggs, who is oh, yes. single-handedly carrying my fantasy football team, at least one of them, because I definitely reached for him. And I was like, I'm not reaching because he's going to be awesome. And he has been. I had and a I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that he was so incorrectly used in Maryland that it cost him millions and millions and millions of dollars. Oh, yeah. Put, put Stefan Diggs in Walt Bell's offense. Well, oh that's my God, something we'll, so that's good. something we might be able to talk about at some point in the future, but that uh, that seems to be pretty terrifying for opposing defenses. But I'll still, even if he was misused at Maryland, we're still always going to love him for what he did against Penn State 
and I don't care. I would absolutely take the suspension for that, even if it negatively affected the team and its perception. That was still one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And Stefan Diggs, I had a friend of mine is starting to go all in on the Stefan Diggs train. I have him on my fantasy team too, and I didn't win, but I almost did because of him. And now he might start rooting for Diggs and others on the Vikings. Well, of course, it's just Stefan Diggs. It's a Terp thing. So thank you both for joining us. Make sure you listen, subscribe, rate, do all the fun stuff, iTunes and SoundCloud. Comment on the show. Tell us how you think we did. Be prepared for some potentially cool stuff next week with this show because it is bye week and we won't have as much to talk about. But make sure you tune in and listen to the show and get back on the website and read us, all the everybody there. But, of course, do not forget, go Terps.